Hey folks, I'm Jason. And I'm Eric. I teach people how to raise livestock on the land. And I teach people the Bible. I play a little banjo. And I play bass. I'm a passionate bow hunter. And I'm a die-hard Badgers fan. Together we're just two common folk trying to pursue Jesus. And live out our faith beyond Sunday's sermon. Well, we started out just like normal. We got distracted by yeah. conversations about weather and music. <laughs> I know those two things, they're easy to get distracted on. Weather, not so much. Music, I can definitely lose lose my uh, train of thought pretty easily. On. Yeah. Well, I kind of feel like I've had a one-track mind about weather this year. So. Yeah, well, and it's I don't know if they can hear. It's not raining as much right now, but it was definitely raining this morning quite a bit. And so um, I was telling you when I came in, this is the kind of day where it's like, uh, I'd like to just sit inside and watch some movies today. But you got to get out and get going and get over it. But I've always felt like days like this when it's like, you know, wet outside and and dreary Mm -hmm. those are the days where i get caught up with stuff in the office oh and and i feel like this is the first one of those we've had all year yeah i can't think of another one where it's been like all day rain but also like cold too where it's like hey like you you really aren't gonna be outside doing anything today and i mean that's that's one thing i've noticed all summer long about I mean there's been a lot of challenges with getting through the drought but I'd say one of the biggest is sometimes we depend on days like this to get caught up absolutely it's so like that's even just being a pastor it's so weird because you have no idea what days are going to be just really crazy where it's like everyone and their brother are has is calling or stopping in or whatever and then you'll have random days where it's just dead quiet and you don't get a single email and it's like you can't really plan it you got to just kind of see what the day is and that's always interesting because like you can't have like a set plan of like today's the day I get caught up on my emails or office work because that might be the day that all of a sudden everybody wants to talk and you got to be ready for that. Yeah. And then there might be other days where you think it's, man, there, this is going to be crazy. I'm going to have to feel the whole bunch of calls and things and it's just dead quiet and you get caught up on everything. It's, it's a good, uh, it's a good practice of just trusting that you'll, you'll get everything done in the right time. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard to plan on what days are going to be like that. Yeah. It, it's interesting how many things like I feel like we do this a lot on this show, but talking about life parallels with weather. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was actually writing in my journal last week, just sort of I haven't been as good with my journal this summer and with a lot of things like that. And I've sort of felt like drought or dryness is kind of the theme of this summer and even uh, like spiritually for me, um, I, you know, I'm not talking about like walking away or backsliding mm-hmm. or anything like that, but sometimes we just go through droughts where it's like, man, I just don't feel like I'm getting the fruit, um, that I have had in previous seasons of life. And it just kind of feels like that's how this summer was in a lot of ways. And it's interesting because, um, in terms of the weather, we always tend to look forward to sunny days and 
dry weather when it's not raining outside because like that's when we do our summer activities until it becomes nothing but that for like three months then all of a sudden we start resenting the thing we longed for and the thing that we don't look forward to which is a dreary day is the thing that we end up wanting. <laughs> yep. No, I mean, you, you've nailed it. And I think that's what God has convicted me so much of just, I seem to be that person that just whatever season I'm in, I just want it to be the next one. And then as soon as that season hits, then I just want it to be the next one. Other than fall. That's the one season that I never I want it to be the next one. But it's never one. long enough. And it never is. But it's like, you know, in the winter, I want it to be hot. In the summer, I want it to be cooler. Like... And I know I've been really trying to just like enjoy what is like there's yeah. beauty. That's the Bible is like everything is beautiful in its time. There is beautiful things in the summer. There's beautiful things in the winter. There's beautiful things about a rainy day. There's beautiful things about a sunny day is, you know, I can't change the season, but I can choose to like look at the good parts of a season or look at the bad parts of a season. And, and what I give my attention to is really the only thing I have true control over. And I think just trusting and believing God's word when it's like, there is something beautiful in every season. Um, and I think like you said, it's like, even in something like a rainy day, um, there's, there's some deep beauty in that. Um, but I'm, I, you're not alone in just, this has been a, a weird, tough summer for a lot of, I mean, that's just yeah. kind of being a pastor. I get to talk to a lot of people and there is definitely a pattern of just this summer being very full of things yeah. that that's are like good things that, that even a lot of people looked forward to. But like now that we're getting on the tail end, you can just see that it's taken a toll and there hasn't been like the refreshing that probably needed to happen. Like you said, just a, there's been kind of a drought of those. I mean, too many, too many good things can turn into a bad thing. Um, too many nice, hot, sunny days, um, aren't good if we're not getting the recharge of rain occasionally. And so while we tend to loathe the dreary, rainy days, we can't live without them, Mm -hmm. whether that be weather or spiritually. Like, we can't live without the dreary, stormy weather. We depend on it. And I I think, you know, that's what I ended up concluding when I was kind of reflecting on the drought of this summer, whether it be the weather or spiritual drought, like... Um, earlier in my faith, I would have become dismayed by that. Like, what is wrong with me? This is not good. And I'd be, and I would start pressing and it would just make matters worse. And I'd start being really hard on myself and everything would go downhill from there where now being through this multiple times over the years, there's almost like an excitement now when I go into a season of drought because it's like, I know there's purpose in this and I know there's something on the other side of it. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that's a, the, the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm, I'm excited. I always read that book pretty much every single fall because for some reason that book just feels like a fall book of the Bible for me. I think it's just because there's like everything's changing and there's like 
things kind of dying and you're having to let go of things. And I think that that's kind of one of the core of the books. Um, but just really doing a deep dive in that and just understanding, like, like I said before, there's beauty in every season. And also like, you can't change the season. Like if you're in a season of drought, um, you know, I, I oftentimes do exactly what you talked about and I don't even know if I'm on the other side of it yet where it's like, I I just press and Mm -hmm. I just, I, I just start to push and, put this responsibility on myself of like, uh, I don't like this season, so I got to change it. And it's like, you just make yourself more miserable because you can't. And you have to just understand, like, like you said, there's, there's something to be learned in this season. And it might even just be to make yourself more thirsty for like the rain that's coming. And that, that might be the only reason for it is to just give you a greater appreciation for for what's coming so that you truly enjoy it when it hits um and so i think i'm still learning that lesson of just taking that pressure off me to to make it into another season yeah because you can't you just that just reminds me so much of paul and romans when he's like why do i do what i want to do i hate this about me why am i doing this like i know i shouldn't i know i don't want to do this like there's no part of me that wants to do this but i keep doing it anyway and i really feel like what causes that often is us pressing and just putting way too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and get everything right i agree i think that's the biggest thing is because like me even just as a person i really don't like to control things like I think there's people who naturally like to be in control and that's kind of something they struggle with but in my day-to-day life I'm like not really someone who enjoys being in control of everything or feels the need to but I think it's it's just we we believe these lies that like we're supposed to that we're responsible to it And, and there's this pressure of it and I think you know even for me there's a big part of me that would love to just let the season be what it is and let God do. But then there's this other part of me that feels responsible of like, yeah. well, but I got to make life perfect. If life isn't exactly how I want it to be, then I'm failing. And I think part of that is just, you know, the influencer culture that we kind of see around, which is just like, if you're, if you're really good, if you work really hard, then life is going to be exactly what you want it to be all the time. And it's just like, it's not. And never, right. and you could, you could win a billion dollars, and there's no way you could make life be exactly what you want it to be all the time. You just don't have the power to do that. So, speaking of gloomy weather and seeing it for what it is, and 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 um, how God intends to use it. Um, yesterday, you talked about you a little bit of a gloomy word, which is hate. Yeah. And it actually comes straight from scripture, so it's not your own words, but you're talking basically about how uh, when we seek Jesus, when we pursue a relationship with him, um, we're going to be hated. Yeah. Well, and it actually lines up a lot with what we're talking about, because at the heart of it, I think, and, and, you know, Jesus uses the word hate, and I think it's a little bit different than, like, how we tend to use the word hate, because he even was like, if you... If you don't hate your father and mother, you can't follow me. And that's like, he's not saying like, you need to like, want harm to come to your, you know, father and mother. It's just this idea of, um, you cannot have them be your source of love. Yeah. And, and I think, cause you know, oftentimes it's like just 
the lack of love, we would probably word that as hate. And so it, it, I think it's, and, and I really dove into this for most of my message. It's just the idea of like the world cannot be our source of love and approval. And that's going to be really hard because for most of us, we've built our whole life on the love and approval of the world. Like that's how our whole lives are built. And so this is not a minor tweak that we need yeah. to make to our life. It is a complete overhaul to where we get all of our love and approval from. And, and that's going to be, it's going to be hard even if you understand that. But I think for most Christians, it's never really been laid out to them yeah. to even just know and expect that to happen. I think th- um, where you started with your explanation there, I think is just a really important thing to make sure we're like all, very ultra clear about because hate at first sounds like the total opposite of everything that the world around us talks about nowadays. There's more talk now about kindness and acceptance and all those things around us than there has been in our lives anyway. I can't speak for previous generations, but it seems like there's more talk about that or focus on that than there ever has been before. Um, And so when you when you say the word hate it could sound like we're talking about the opposite of those things but that's not necessarily what it is yeah yep um that that we're being called to right. um because if you make that mistake if you don't make that distinction and you think that that's what we're being called to yeah. that's like a an active Thing. So, yes. like, you would go out and do everything you could to try to counter everyone and everything right. in the world. Like, you would make it your personal objective yep. to be hated by the world. Right. That Jesus isn't telling us, go out and make sure that the world hates you. Like, yes. do everything you can to make sure all your co-workers hate you and Correct. your neighbors hate you. That's not what he's saying. Yes. What do you... I th- what he's saying is when you follow me, I'm just letting you know that the result is going to be compared to, you know, compared to everything else around us, you're, you're going to feel like you're hated. Yeah. Well, and how I would even define it going through the, the multiple times that, you know, Jesus used the word hate is, you know, to, to withhold your love and approval from, something and that's where i think you like there's hate where it's like an i actively am going to seek to like hurt this person which again it that does line up of like with jesus disciples yeah that that definitely happened but even when jesus was like unless you hate your father and mother you can't yeah follow me is this idea of like that can't like your love can't go to them your right. your love has to go to me first and then i will give you my love and then that love gets given to them. But your love has to come to me. And it's the same. Like, the world will withhold its love and approval from you if you are shining the light of Jesus. But like you said, and like I read out of First Peter, it's like it needs to be because of Jesus, not because of you're rude or unkind. Yeah. Like We still have all of the other teachings of Jesus which call us to be kind and gentle and 
all of these super things. important context. Yes, right it's there. very it's like it's this isn't preparing. a license to be a jerk. <laughs> no, and I think all of us should be like, if if someone despises us or if someone disapproves of what we're doing or how we're living our life, you always need to ask the question like, why? Because if it's because of the light of Jesus and only the light of Jesus, then it's like you have to have peace. But like if there's even a little bit like, well, it's because I wasn't really considerate or I, I spoke this out in a very harsh, unloving, ununderstanding way. I wasn't listening to them. I wouldn't hear their side. Then you do have to always humble yourself and say, OK, I got to I got to do this better. Because, again, first Peter's clear is like. The only way that, that it's good for you to be hated is if it is for the name of Jesus, so, not for your shortcomings. So I feel like there's a lot of areas where this could get really, there's a lot of gray areas around this, and I've seen it. Yeah. And I'm sure you have too. So like, what about someone who is hated by their co-workers and, and they're asking themselves that question, do they hate me? Yeah because I'm a jerk or do they hate me because I love Jesus? But then you take it a step further and it's like, well, really why they hate you is because you are constantly, every time there's one little sliver of space to insert something into a conversation, you're telling them how bad of a sinner they are and how bad they need Jesus. So there's like a socially awkward component to it. Absolutely. Well, and I also think the Bible is really clear. Like we are supposed to be listeners. Like, and I I know it's cliche to say no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. But like, for me, I have a rule of thumb. Like if the Holy Spirit, if I was walking down the street and the Holy Spirit was like, hey, speak the gospel to this person, I would. But in my own day to day, it's like if I couldn't tell you what that person's story is, what they're wrestling with, what wounds they have, then I probably am not going to tell them what they need to do. Because the gospel is for everybody, but the context of, of listening and understanding people and respecting their just their story, you look at the life of Jesus and he, he sat with people and talked mm-hmm. to them. And it's not because the gospel was going to change. It's not like he's like, well, let me listen to them so I know what kind of gospel to give them. It's like it is allowing them to honestly feel loved and respected before. You know, there, there, is, a, there is a value to each human because Jesus died for them. And it's just understanding, like, this person has more value than like what whatever I want to accomplish here. Like the only reason speaking the gospel is what I need to do is because that person matters. And to start with like, this is a person that Jesus died for that matters. And I'm going to treat this person as if I really believe that that's going to lead the way. And so for me, that's always my first question is like, am I listening? Because most of the time, if somebody is really upset with me and it's not just because of the light of Jesus, it goes back to that. I have, I have not been quick to listen and I have not been slow to speak, which is exactly what the Bible says. And for me, that's one of those really easy go-tos 
to check yourself if you're going, okay, this person is upset at me and I, I got to figure out if it's because of Jesus or if it's because I, I have really not done this in a way that, that honors who Jesus was. That's always my first is how much did I listen in this situation and how much did I speak? And usually that ratio says a lot. So basically in a nutshell, like what, what you were saying, if, if we just want to make sure that we're clearly articulating the sort of kind of two different ways you can look at this term hate, like hate shouldn't, even the kind of hate that Jesus is Mm -hmm. talking about that shouldn't lead. We don't lead with that. Right. He's basically saying this could be a result of you. What leads is us seeking him. Yes. And hate could be a result of that. Yes. If we lead with hate because we feel like that's what we're being instructed to do. Like if we're like, it's true that we're being called to be different than the world. Yes. But if we make that our primary objective, we are going to be total weirdos that are going to be like, people are going to hate us for different reasons. Right. But if our primary objective is to seek him and then we're drawn apart from the world because of that, that's what he's telling us. It's like when you see someone who like leaves a job, there's, there's a couple different ways and reasonings why you can leave a job just because you're like, Hey, I, I don't like this or this coworker bothers me. And so I'm just going to take whatever, whatever job is out there because I'm running away from this. And then there's people who leave a job because they get given this amazing opportunity that they're passionate about and they're running to something else. And it's the same way. It's like, we're not going in there like to be hated. That's not the goal. The goal of, of us is we are, we are chasing Jesus so much to the point where that is a byproduct of how much we are chasing Jesus. And, and I would even say like a lot of what you're going to experience when the world is upset at you, doesn't approve of you, withholds its love is defensiveness. Like they're defending their sin. You are threatening their sin. Yeah. And you have to understand like there's a defensiveness to that. And you approach things differently when you understand there's going to be a defensiveness uh, about someone's sin. And, and part of it is just even understanding like you might be there to just plant one seed. I mean, that's what the Bible talks about. This person planted, this other person watered, this person tilled, this person reaped. So to understand, like, you're not in there to say, today, I want to accomplish this person repenting of their sin. That's a terrible way to approach a situation. You approach a situation going, what seeds can I plant? What is God calling me to, to do or say? And then when when I'm done, I let it go, even if I didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish in this person's life. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever gave, especially when it comes to defensiveness, is that um, for people, changing their minds is like changing their clothes. They're not going to do it in front of you. And have like comfort of like, like speak what you know you need to speak and then just let it go. Don't press the issue. Let them chew on it on their own time. Yeah. Because especially when it comes to someone who's going to be really defensive and protecting, you know, something in their life that that you know is not good for them. Um, 
to, to give them that time to where, and the number of times for me that I've said something to somebody, um, and they've, they've been defensive right away. And I was like, okay, yep. I, I understand what you're saying and let it go. And then two or three days later, they come back to me and they're like, I've been really thinking about what you said. And now we can continue that conversation, but you've given them the time to, to yeah. work on it and for that to roll around in their head. And it's like the reason though we press the issue so hard is I think of just our pride of we want to be able to feel like we did something great. Yeah. And so it's like we press it of like, no, you got to repent right now. I want to feel like I did the thing right. Instead of just having a peace to say like, okay, I feel like I was true to God's word. I said what I need to say, but I also listened. I also let them feel like I care about like their, their situation and their hurts and all of those things. And now I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is also involved and is going to keep working on this. And I also understand that this situation isn't over. There's still plenty more for me to do. So, so if you were to ask most people what the opposite of hate is, it's generally accepted that the opposite of hate is love. Right. Love is a whole other conversation we could have. It's a word that gets confused by people mainly, and there's a lot of reasons why it gets confused now. It's, it can get very watered down, but one of the reasons it can get confusing is because in biblical terms, there's like three different kinds of love. Yes. And so agape love is like the unconditional love between uh, husband and wife or yeah. father and daughter or something like that. Like that's not the kind of love that the world has for each other. That'd right. be more of like phileo yeah. love, which is brotherly love. Yes. Um, no. And that's a great question. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I interrupted you. No, I don't want to bring, I don't want to ruin your, so where I was going with that is if love is the opposite of hate, mm-hmm. And if we're talking more about like this brotherly type of love as being the opposite of hate, then really maybe another term for that would, if we really want to just kind of simplify this, would be like acceptance. Yeah, I, that's a great, you got, you got my brain spinning. So I'm just going to start talking and maybe I'll retract this later. But here's the interesting thing about love is that the Bible actually talks through that hate is actually not the opposite of love. Okay. So, but maybe I was, maybe no, I no, need no. to be retracted. No, I think you're right. Cause I, I believe in the context where I, I'm, I'm talking about the verse where perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. And actually in the Bible, if you're looking at opposing forces, it actually talks about fear and love being opposing forces that that fear is actually that opposite of okay. love but i believe in that context because it says perfect love we're talking about that agape love that's yeah. like god's perfect unconditional love the love that it's like i don't care what you do it's sacrificial it is giving it doesn't expect anything in return that love the opposing force is fear like that's what and that perfect agape love is what combats fear but that's what's really interesting is i don't even know if opposite 
is the right word. And this is where my brain is just going. Cause, cause like with fear and love, it actually is very similar to like light and dark. They're yeah. not necessarily opposites. It's just dark is the absence, absence of light and fear is the absence of that agape perfect love. And so as soon as that love comes in, it's not even a battle. It's when you turn a light on, it's not like there's a battle that happens to see if the, it's like, as soon as there's light, the okay, is gone. so if we keep tracking on that thought, then I, that's kind of an interesting thought. Then, uh, if we go back to the term I use, late, acceptance, yeah. acceptance. Yes. What do most people in this world fear? Not being accepted. Oh, for sure. Everything out of the tribe. Everything it boils down to people just scratching and clawing to constantly be accepted. Yes, and so. Hate is the, you know, the hate that we're talking about here that, that Jesus is kind of warning us or yeah. telling us, like, you'll be hated. It's basically lack of acceptance by the world. Yeah, one, well, I was even going to say, I think your, your point stands because I think whereas, you know, fear and, and the, the perfect agape love are like those opposing forces, I would say then hate and the phileo love which is like the brotherly very conditional if you do what i think you should do then i'll love you if you know if you're not too big of a problem you know mm -hmm. that kind of like hate is probably the opposite of that because it's like when you withhold that that is that i i i am not getting that love i'm not good enough like you said i'm not accepted yeah. i'm not approved of I'm going to, I'm going to get left behind. I'm going to be left all alone. And that's, I think what drives so much of our just need to be good enough is because that love is so conditional and, and people are so willing to withhold that. And that's what that hate really like. That's, that's the absence of that love is, is when, when that is withheld from us, that's hate, right. you know? And that's, so I'd like to get kind of real practical here, just mm -hmm. just to make this like really um, usable for people listening who are living life in this world. Because we all interact with family members who uh, don't know Jesus, and coworkers, and um, other parents on our our sports teams or in the school, and. And we may get along with all of them just fine. Like that, that's almost a whole other conversation. But the fact is, is like, if you go back to like this kind of brotherly love, like what does the, how does the world describe that brotherly love? It's like, we have things in common. Mm -hmm. We do things together. Yep. We support each other. But it's like, that is not as deep of a love as agape love. It is more surfacy in in a lot of ways, especially the world's uh, view of it is more surfacy. So it's like where the buck stops is when you stop having things in common with me and stop doing the same things as me and stop supporting me in the things that I do. And I think that's where this conversation gets really real for people because I think we've all been through it in our walk. Like as we start pursuing Jesus, like there's not often Christians want to act like there's a rule book of do's and don'ts. 
And I think that's where Christianity sometimes, I, this is not the right term, but gets a bad rap from sure. people because it's like, well, I don't want to have a do and don't list to follow. Like, I don't want to have to abide by this list of don'ts. Well, there isn't that. Right. But what there is, is once you start pursuing Jesus, some of these things start, you either lose interest or you, it becomes very obvious to you, like, I can't do this thing and follow Jesus. And so you become conflicted. And when you have you know, the spirit in you and you have a conscience that is weighing on you and saying you can't do that thing anymore. Right. And then and then you yield to that. You start falling out of favor with some of those people. And even furthermore, it's almost becomes threatening to them because they have a conscience too, probably. Yes. And somewhere deep down, they know they shouldn't be doing it. Yep. And when someone in their inner circle decides to not do it anymore that's a threat to them that's a reminder to them that you really shouldn't be doing that and i think that's where this conversation becomes really real because we've all experienced that and it could be something as simple as like putting someone else down or gossiping like you know deciding to not participate in a conversation or it could be things that we spend our free time doing that that aren't um honorable or that don't really help yeah edify or you know well and i think your example is really i mean try it out sometime with your coworkers when they're gossiping about somebody else and just being like guys i'm not really comfortable with this like this person isn't here we shouldn't we shouldn't talk about them like that they're not going to be real appreciative of that they're they're probably going to even if you do it in a super kind way and um or even if you just don't do it at all. I mean, I've known people who they wouldn't even say anything. They just would walk away and they would get like, Oh, there's Jason goody two shoes. He won't talk bad about any, like literally it's going to happen no matter how you do it, no matter how you approach it. And you have to be ready because like you said, it's like, you know, as, as Christians, the Holy spirit is going to convict us of things. There's just, it's, we're, it's not going to feel right. We're going to understand like, this is this is putting a wedge between me and, and God right now. And if we if we don't respond to that, we're going to really start to dull that. And we're not going to hear the Holy Spirit the same way. And so it we really have to take that seriously. But we have to understand that the world is not going to appreciate it. They're just, they're not. You know, yeah. And I'm just thinking there's been a couple times you know so there's certain people in our in our circles of um what do we you know just the people we do life with mm-hmm. who we don't have that in faith in common with but every once in a while and there was a time recently where I was really convicted because there's one person who I interact with a lot and I was saying, I was just focusing on the negative part of something. Yep. And I don't know why I'm like that, but sometimes I tend to really just focus on a negative thing. Right. And this person looked at it from a totally different perspective um, and looked at the positive side of it and just chose to not go negative with it. Mm-hmm. And I was more convicted then than I have been in a long time because this is someone who I don't even know. 
right. if it is a believer or not. And here they're acting more like a Christian than me in yep. that situation. Exactly. And I guess it's one of those where I'm trying to think of how to best relate this, but it's almost like the conviction of the Holy Spirit is almost like a like a muscle that you have to protect. It's a sense that you have. It's like one of your senses, like sight and smell. And just like you wouldn't just stare at the sun for an hour because you'd understand, like, this is going to damage a very important sense to me. Understanding, like, when we do not listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of what people are going to think, like, we're literally damaging that sense. Now, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that it's not like we can never get that back, but it's going to take a lot of humility and repentance. And there's going to be a lot of pain we're going to have to feel in that process of regaining the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And I think part of it is just, and and I'm dealing with this even, you know, well, it's in that same realm of like, I, I talk through, you know, whose approval are you trying to gain? And realizing it's not about caring less about what people think it's about caring more about what God thinks like that's the answer is because like you said we're all trying to be accepted and and that's never going to change like we we were made to be in groups like we have a built-in like I need to be part of a group I can't Mm -hmm. be left out because we as humans were not made to be alone and so we have this built-in like need for acceptance because that's where our safety comes from. That's where our security comes from. And so it's like to just be like, I need to just work on caring less what people think. It's like, that's not the answer. The answer is caring so much what God thinks that like, you know, there's just nothing. And that's going back to when Jesus is like, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't follow me. It's like, no, unless you have so much love for me that like, in comparison, how you feel about your own family looks like hate, you're not going to be able to follow me. And it's the same, like until God's approval just matters so much, you're never going to be able to give up the need to be approved by others. And it's the same way with that, respecting that sensitivity, the Holy Spirit, until you truly acknowledge the power of like needing the Holy Spirit's conviction. Cause there, like you said, there is no perfect rule book for mm-hmm. us to follow. It's like, we desperately need the Holy Spirit to show us the way. And until you truly view the Holy Spirit as this like lamp in pitch dark woods. And every time you don't listen to it, it gets dimmer. Like you're not, you are going to be like, well, if I listen to the Holy Spirit here, like, ah, man, they're not, they're not going to really accept me anymore and all that. Like, it's not about not caring about what people think. It's about really caring about the things of God. And that's really going to be the only way to make these changes. Unfortunately, I think like for a believer to come to that point, it takes uh, humility. Yeah. It takes being open to the chastening of the spirit but it also takes life experience like no kid and some kids end up sometimes really surprising us with spiritual maturity before you would ever 
expect them to so it's not like it's impossible but it, it, honestly like most of this stuff you you almost have to learn it the hard way and you just have to like live some life and you need to get some years behind you in your faith to like truly come to a point of just realizing how fleeting the acceptance of the world is and to just stop striving for that and to stop putting any kind of value in that and it's really easy to just say that to someone but even with me saying it right now I still haven't 100% come to terms with that I'll be honest about that like I I still struggle with it Um, but like when you see someone who has lived some years and and has um, been a follower for quite a few years and they just have this contentment about them, like, that's where I want to get. Yeah. Um, but it just takes, like, really just coming to terms with this acceptance of the world that everyone is kind of... Um, fighting for yeah that isn't that good anyway absolutely one i agree with you completely like sometimes it's gonna take you uh going out into the woods at night and having your light go out and having to like deal with that situation for you to really respect the light in the future and i think it's the same way the holy spirit is like sometimes it takes losing that sensitivity and getting really lost to understand the importance of like staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I think you're, which, what you said is really good of just understanding, you know, we're talking about counting the cost. And I talk to the staff about this all the time is so often when we count the cost, we count the cost of starting something. Hey, how, what's it going to take to start this new ministry or start this new thing? But we don't, like count the cost of maintenance, which is usually the highest cost there is, is maintaining what you have is really expensive. And even when it comes to, cause like in church circles, you know, everyone's always like, how are we going to grow the church? We got to mm-hmm. grow the church. And, um, a, a conclusion that I came to that has really guided how I do all that is whatever you do to get people to come to your church you have to keep doing that to get them to stay at your church. So you better be, you better like what you're doing to grow your church because you're going to have to do it for the rest of the time that you're at church. And it's the same way with the love of the world. Whatever you do to get the world to love you, you are going to have to keep doing it Mm -hmm. for them to keep loving you. And so you better be okay with whatever it is that you are doing to get the world to love you because you'll never be able to stop. And I think that's a cost that we don't understand is it starts out in middle school or high school of like, you know, I'll just be the class clown or I'll just do that because it's, you don't understand, like you're never going to be able to stop now. As soon as you stop doing that, that love's gone. And so it's understanding that don't chase that love because it is so fickle. It is so conditional and the world is so ready to withhold it from you at any second that you stop doing what they think you should do. And that's what's so amazing about agape love is it's not based on what we're doing. It's based on the character of God. And so we don't have to 
be afraid that it's going to be taken away from us as soon as we do something wrong. It's such a better love to rely on. Well, and I, I think to go back to the term counting the cost, like I, I think that's just kind of a, a really good way to wrap this conversation up because basically Jesus is just telling us like this is a cost. Yep of following me. Yep. Like you aren't going to be accepted by the world. Right. And and you, and so you need to count that as a cost. Um but I think what we often don't realize is like we we need that. Like it's an essential part of our faith. It's an essential part of seeking Jesus. Yes. Well, and I think what we all need to understand is like, there's always a cost, but we get more on the back end. Like the parable that Jesus gave of the man who found a treasure in a field, he sold everything he owned to get the treasure, but the treasure was more than what he sold. Like, we have to give up a fickle love that is conditional in order to get a perfect, like, unconditional love like I even the idea of a cost is like hard for me to really justify it's it's I don't want to call it an investment but it is just you are always going to get more like you're always going to get it's like give up the fake for the real like that's really what it is give up the counterfeit for the real deal that's all this is give up the fake love for the real love but if you're not willing to give up the fake love, like you can't, you're not going to experience the real love. Well, you said it yesterday during the sermon. How many people, when they sketch out the roadmap of their life, include suffering? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what this is about. It makes me think of like every little kid, or my kids anyway, and I was the same when I was a kid, up until a certain age, when you ask them what they want to do when they, get, when they grow up, it's yeah. going to be like, I'm going to play for the Packers. Yep. Yeah. Or I'm going to play Major League Baseball. And my kids have said that for years. And it hasn't been until they started getting a little more mature that the conversation goes a little deeper. So when they're a little kid, they can't see past. Like, I just want to be that guy on the baseball card. But now it's like, okay, well, um, number one, the chances of that happening are really low. But let's ignore that fact. What would it take to get there? And it's not just all of the work it would take to play at that level, but it's every all the other costs associated with it as well. Like you, you tell me all the time that you also want to have a farm someday. <laughs> right. Like, how are you going to have a farm and be a major league baseball player? You have to be okay with being home two months of the year. Right. And the rest of the year you're on the road. Yeah. Are you okay with that? If you are. Yep. then that's a cost that's worth it to you. Yep, yep. Um, but I feel like we often overlook the cost, is my point. Oh, yeah. And and I think it's because we, we bought into this lie that you can have it all. Like, you, and you can't. Yeah. I, it's funny. It's like, I, I, heard, I heard someone um, say this, and I thought it was really good. You can't do everything, but you can do something. And you get to pick what it is you you get to do. But like, that's the beauty of life is that you have to pick what it is you want to do and you can't do everything. So you got to pick like, 
And it's for all of us. We all have to deal with that. Even if you take it out of the, the spiritual sense of like, you're not going to be able to work out five days a week while being a perfect spouse, while having a really intense, successful career, while having a bunch of hobbies, while maintaining good friendships. You can't. You're Not for you're, very long nope, anyway. You're going to have to pick. Yeah. You're going to have to choose what you want. And I think that that just goes back to this is like, you can't have the love of the world and the approval of God. You're going to have to pick one. And I think we still think we're the exception. Like, I don't know, but if I do, if I live life just perfect, everyone will approve of me. It's like, nope, you don't get everything. You have to pick. And what, what you see now in the world is people not making that choice proactively. Yep. And the choice is then made for them, and it's very painful. So you have lots of broken relationships, lots of divorce. You have people, every workplace is a revolving door, it seems like. I mean, people don't hold jobs for very long anymore. You have um, mental health going downhill fast. You have broken up families, divorce. I think all of those things are products of people not counting the cost proactively. And then, you know, to bring it back to this conversation, unfortunately, often you have people, if they are going to choose something proactively to drop off the list, it's faith. Yeah. You're, you're, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think it goes back to, we talked about all of us being so scared of, of making mistakes of feeling like everything has to be perfect. And so what that leads us to is subconsciously saying, I would rather have the wrong decision made for me than try to make the right decision for myself and have a chance that I made the wrong decision. Because if someone makes the wrong decision for me, then, well, that's not my fault. So we just let life happen to us and we get Mm -hmm. kind of backed into a corner and then we can say, well, even if I don't like life, well, it's not my fault. This happened to me instead of taking a chance that maybe you will make the wrong decision, but maybe you'll make the right one. And either way, like taking responsibility to say right or wrong, I'm going to choose and I'm Mm going to look at my life and know I chose what, what I was going to do. I picked who I was going to be approved by, whose love was going to matter to me. And I think it's just getting over that fear of like, it's not better to have the wrong decision made for you so that you can say, well, it's not my fault. And I think that's what I'm still working on too, is just being like, I would rather make the wrong decision actively than let the wrong decision happen to me and get backed into that corner. I think a lot of people have it happen with good intentions too. Like I think a lot of people are operating in a, a realm that they know it isn't right, but they just try to power through it and they think maybe they can make it work, but then eventually the wheels fall off the cart. Yeah. And I would just say that like our faith in Jesus shouldn't be the thing the first thing to come off. In yeah, fact, I think that's a pretty good thing, you know, pretty solid thing to say. <laughs> well, it, it's an obvious thing to say in this, in but this you're right. setting. I think a lot of us, unfortunately, that's the But case. it's super, but then it's, it's just a very backwards way of doing it because then when we, because of all of our other choices, 
when we end up backed into a corner, like that's when when we need him yeah. the most, but we don't have him because we chose to, you know, put him on the back burner. And Absolutely. so I guess it, it takes having the wherewithal and the maturity to make some tough choices mm-hmm. proactively. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then just realizing that it's going to put us in the minority when we do that. Absolutely. And I think that's what this whole, you know, warning of, I keep calling it a warning, but it's not even really a warning. It's not saying like, be careful. It's just saying, just so you know yes this comes along this goes with the territory yes well that's exactly just be aware but i also think as much as this might seem like a difficult conversation i think it's incredibly empowering to be like you know you get to choose yeah like you get to choose that's Um, a very positive way of looking at it too you like you don't have to let the world back you into a corner at any point you can say no this is what's mm-hmm. important. I choose this and I'll I'll pay this cost. Like that's literally we all have that choice right now to to decide. Okay, this is what I choose. Um you don't get to have everything. You are going to have to give things up, but you have the power and you do not need to let the world make that decision for you. In fact, you really shouldn't. And if like life has felt just empty and hollow and you feel numb, chances are you've let the world just dictate everything and it's probably been because you're afraid to make mistakes and if something's going to go wrong you would rather say well it happened to me rather than I made that choice and I just think it's incredibly empowering to be like no you can change right now you can start to just take that responsibility to say I want to choose what I do and what's important um, and what cost I'm willing to pay and what cost I'm not willing to pay and and I would just um, encourage people, and I and this is pointed right back at myself mm-hmm. as well. Like um, when you pray, to just ask God to give you wisdom and you know what you should and shouldn't be doing in life, and it can be very practical. Like yes. God, am I supposed to do this thing or not do this thing? Right. And when it starts to become clear to you mm-hmm. that he's prompting you in one way or the other, don't be afraid of acceptance. Yeah. I think that's the first place a lot of our minds go. Like, how are these people going to respond to this when I say I'm not going to do this anymore? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's very easy to say disconnected from the problem, but I think we have to remember that. And that's where fellowship with other believers comes yeah. in as well. Like, talk to each other about it. Yep. Be open with each other and be like, this is what I'm going to have to do, and I know it's not going to be popular, but at least I know there's other people in the same camp as me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have, I have more to say, but I'm like, is this going to be the first one yeah. we go over in an hour? Because uh, well, I'm, I'm willing to do it, but I, was, I also am like, I do feel like we've hit on, on something that, that God God's heart is on, which is just, you know, that's one of the few things we do have control over. It's like, yeah. there's a lot that you don't have control over. We talked about the seasons. You don't have control over that, but you do have control over the cost that you're going to pay. 
right. and, and the cost you're not going to pay. That's right. one of the few things that we really do get to decide. And so it's empowering. I know even for me right now, I, I feel a well of energy being like, yeah, I do have that. I do get to say and decide what cost I pay and what cost I don't. And that's exciting because yeah. that's, a, that's a big decision that we all have the freedom to make. You know. You want well, to close us in prayer? Yep. Well, Lord, um, as, as we talk about counting the cost of pursuing you, you've made it clear to us what the cost will be. So we just thank you that you, um, that you teach us and that you tell us, um, what to expect and you don't make this a guessing game. Um, and so in knowing that I just pray for, for us and everyone listening that, uh, as we seek you, that you can just uh, make it clear to us um, the things that we are uh, and aren't supposed to do and just um, help us to f- focus on you and your will in our life and not uh, the acceptance of those around us. And if we can start uh, doing that and if we can learn that and develop that skill, then um, we can um, truly start um, pursuing you and experiencing you at a whole new level. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.